Hello everybody, welcome back to the End Again podcast. I am Omer, your host, a football writer and analyst, and I'm joined as always by my co-host H, a football content creator that focuses on the tactical parts of the beautiful game. Today we're joined by Adam, uh, who is a friend of mine, but also uh, if you followed, for example, Manchester City on, on social media over the last couple of seasons, uh, I'm sure you would have seen him there, uh, sort of running their social media accounts. And fun fact, one time I played five-a-side with Adam, uh, and in the second half of the game, I had to man mark him because he was doing too much. He was doing too much in the first half of the game and scoring too many. Uh, but he's a lovely guy, and we're here to talk a little bit about the World Cup today. Um, we're recording this the day after Morocco have progressed uh, in a massive upset. I think uh, it's safe to say against Spain, Portugal uh, with a six-one win against Switzerland as well, which are sort of opposite results really but like both really enjoyable and impressive games. I would say enjoyable enjoyable for Morocco fans more than Spanish fans but we'll talk a little bit about those uh, yeah and just a little bit about the World Cup in general uh, but Adam thank you so much for joining us man how are you? Pleasure mate pleasure mate I'm, uh, I'm good good just uh, sort of winding down for Christmas now end of the year had a hectic first six months being at City there um, yeah. obviously the end of that season with Villa and Madrid and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah, it was great two years there, but um, just sort of chilling out at the moment, sort of uh, reframing my life. Hopefully, going to go into presenting a bit more. So I- I'm lovely stuff. I'm good, mate. I'm good. Just doing a few podcasts at the moment and enjoying myself. Good stuff. And to be fair, before we go into the World Cup stuff, I do want to ask a little bit about just sort of you in general, and obviously working at City. That's like probably an experience that I think very few people will have. Um, but like, sort of give me. So any any moments that stand out to you or something any sort of experiences that you had there which people might not know of or you know that might be a bit interesting to share some insight on honestly mate we could we you might as well get me on next week to do another podcast on this like Let's you could it, honestly do like a you could do a diary of <laughs> a ceo style thing where i just talk about city but, yeah um, yeah like if, if i was to pinpoint one because like you know before i joined city you know i'd been a content creator i was working for uh, joe.co.uk at the time if you know them they were yeah uh, quite a big page yeah i was doing stuff for them and then like sort of you know when covid first hit it was a bit of a lull and there wasn't much going on but this job just came up and through doing stuff at like city extra and stuff people were like you know you should do you should you should try it chance your arm um so yeah. i did got it so i went from one week being sat in the house in lockdown uh to the next week just being stood two yards away from kdb and it was just very surreal yeah so like that that was like the main thing but like if i was to pinpoint one moment um I can't say too much on it because I want to I want to be employable in the future but um, <laughs> in <laughs> when we went to if you remember the 2021 season the Gundawan clinics all throughout oh, the season one of, one of the lockdown. greatest seasons I've um, ever had the pleasure yeah, of watching man yeah the lev- the levitating season that one yeah um, yeah yeah so I went to Marseille away. It was my first European away with the team. So we flew out, went there, stayed in the hotel. That was where we won 3 0. I think Gundo yeah. scored actually in that game. Um, if it was yeah, that season, he that, probably did 3-0. score. Whatever game it was, he yeah, probably scored. He did. He, yeah. it, it, do you know what? It was Torres, Gundo, Sterling. There you go. There you yeah. go. But that was it. Um, so we went back to the hotel afterwards. And obviously, time difference in France. It's like games kick off at nine. Um, so we get back around midnight, so half 12 to the hotel. And. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a woman in uh, comms who worked in the comms team. It was her birthday. There was two receptions in the hotel. It's like a big six star ridiculous hotel. One reception had all the coaching staff in. Players had gone to bed. They had designated bedtimes, but there was the coaching staff in one reception, and then all of us in the other one, sort of celebrating birthday and just having some drinks. Um, and uh, I think it was like 
Rodolfo Borel or something might have come in with like a ridiculously expensive bottle of champagne and stuff, <laughs> put it down for her. So we were just having a drink and then it got yeah. to about half two and um, Pep came in on his own without the uh, any of the other coaching staff and there was a spare seat next to me. Yeah. So it, the only seat that you could take if you wanted to sit down <laughs> he was, was, forced uh, was into... next to Adam Monk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, sitting next to Wadman for a bit. So uh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he came and sat down and he'd, you know, he'd had a bit to drink. Um, yeah. And yeah, all, all I'll say that he said to me was the first words he said to me was, um, he said, uh, how old are you? I said 21. And then he just went, you look Scandinavian. And then he told me to, he just told me to F off and go to bed, basically, um, in a sarcastic way. But it's one of them, you know, when Pet tells you to go to bed, it's like, you know, should I, should I go to yeah, bed? Yeah, like, like, you know, I might you have really to actually listen to it. Yeah. Um, and then he told, he told some anecdotal stuff. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was the most surreal experience, basically, having, having a red wine with Pet. Um, yeah, I mean, that is a, a sort of up there. Yeah. That's a story to tell 20, yeah. 30 years <laughs> down the line. Um, You're Erling before Erling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that story is incredible. Um, we'll move a little bit on to talking uh, about the World Cup now, although we could obviously talk about City as, as sort of two City fans for hours. Each might have to just <laughs> sit in and, and listen to that at some point. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about the Spain game. Um Spain against Morocco ended in a 0-0. I'll just read some stats actually just to sort of provide some context to anybody who didn't watch the entire game. But it was a game that ran um, all the way into penalties. Uh, Spain had 77% of the possession, 1,019 passes um, at a 90% pass accuracy. Morocco, on the other hand, uh, only 23% possession, 305 passes in comparison. Uh, Funnily enough, actually, Spain had only one shot on target, uh, whereas Morocco uh, had two. Um, and then in the end, Morocco won 3-0 on penalties, um, Spain failing to score a single one. I know there's so many different like sub-conversations uh, that have come out of the game, sort of about style and this anti-football and this parking the bus kind of thing. And is it the right thing to do? And should it be promoted or whatever? But just in general, what, what did you make of the game to begin with? I think the Moroccan fans are absolutely crazy and I think it just adds to it. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't disagree. I, I mean, I absolutely love pragmatic performances um, and I don't, think there's, I don't think there's anyone who can take away from that kind of approach, especially in a knockout competition. Yeah, I think um, the thing is with Spain, I think you tweeted it the other day, Omer, that uh, international teams almost have cycles and it was something I noticed with the Spanish performance yesterday they're built on solid foundations similar to which they were in 2010 i think they've got a very very accomplished back line a very strong midfield and a very strong prospective midfield with uh, pedri and gavi yeah but the problem that they've got at the moment is their attackers compared to 2010 uh are, are diminished effectively and if you look at the 2010 world cup win for spain a lot of the games that they won they only won one nil so you got the yeah. final the germany semi-final games in the group stage against like Chile or I think Paraguay they beat in the last 16, 1-0. So they're actually a very conservative international side and always have been. And all that they've lacked in this tournament for me, bar the Costa Rica game, which you could put down as anomaly, but they do lack that cutting edge. And I think all it was going to take to beat them was a team like Morocco, who were disciplined, organised, maybe a bit of the dark arts, you could say, and also have yeah. that home backing behind them, which H touched on. I agree with that. I'm just looking back now at the results uh, of that 2010 World Cup win. Uh, 
they lost their first game. I think they're the only side to have won the World Cup having lost their first game, uh, if I remember correctly. 2-0 to Honduras, uh, 2-1 uh, against Chile, who got a red card in the 37th minute. Uh, but again, only a one-goal margin there. Uh, 1-0 against Paraguay. Um, 1-0 against Portugal, who also got a red card. 1-0 against Germany. And then 1-0 yeah, against <laughs> Netherlands, who also got a red card as well. So, uh, sort of, loads of red cards, but yeah, only one game there that they'd won uh, with more than a one-goal margin, and that was against Honduras, which is a really interesting point, to be fair, because when you're looking at sides that, I mean, sort of thinking about to, to sides in history, uh, sort of dominant international sides in history, Spain, sort of 2010, are a team that comes straight to mind because you have players like sort of your Javis, your Iniestas, Poyol, for example, um, sort of David Villa, and you have sort of some of these greats and you assume that they'd be very, very dominant. Um, but maybe there's a question there to pose a little bit about is this domestic style of football more, I don't know, restricted or, or, or less effective on this international stage? I know we saw it a little bit with Germany who were really dominant in terms of all the underlying stats or whatever, but like they lacked a killer in the box. And I know it's almost, I don't know, people might see it as a bit reductive to talk about sort of killers in the box and like, sort of energy and like fan backing and like passion and things like that now that we've moved towards this more analytical way to view the game but I think all of these things are really really important um and I really liked your point about sort of the attackers there not being sort of really decisive in moments and I think to be fair Almo has a good strike on him Ferran Torres is a good finisher um Morata he's more of a proper nine um but they lacked a bit of that directness on the wings for example um players like I think Williams came on and then um, you have guys like Ansu Fati as well who can provide that, but then you lose some of that ball to feet nature that Spain really uh, excel with. So it's an interesting thing to talk about. I'm not sure if we spoke about Germany since they went out. So um, I don't know. I think it'd be appropriate just to mention that a little bit and um, where it might have gone wrong for them because... I mean, Fulcrook, I thought it was quite impressive when he played, especially with Havertz off him. Um, and I see H smiling now because H gave uh, a full crook loads of prop in that last episode. Um, but then he, he wasn't selected to begin. Uh, and then when he came on, obviously they start, started scoring. H, give, you, give your boy some prop here. There wasn't, it wasn't even the matter of full crook being like the, the, the profile of centre forward that when you look at this team, you go, oh yeah, he's the one. It was just an actual focal point number nine and a guy who, you know, has good ball striking, uh, can score in the air, can score on the ground. Um, and I think I was just looking at him and I was just looking how many boxing, like boxing Vaders, late, late runners um, that Germany just have like in the midfield. Um, you don't need to, you don't need to like play these insanely direct wingers um, like Nabri, Sane, um, like you can accommodate for one or the other. I think they've almost got <clears throat> maybe too much of what Spain lacked, which is just like too much directness. And like you say, yeah, like just a bit too much. And I think, I think Musiala had 19 take-ons, which is like six more than the second most, uh, which was Mbappe. I Mm. think he's on 13 or something. Yeah, I think they probably would have benefited more from... I know they tried to play Musiala, Muller. um, Oh, no, they might not have actually. But I think they would have benefited more from playing uh, Fulcrug up front and then behind them only playing one direct outlet rather than two or three. Um, Yeah. Because I just feel like Germany Germany actually do get in the final third quite well. I feel like they don't really rely too much on 
like one asset of the front four or whatever. But I feel like it just got it just got to the point where they weren't really threatening. They didn't have too much tech, and like Thomas Muller is one of my favorite players of all time, but he's he's not a ridiculously good technical footballer. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think they needed that between the lines, and I think that's one of the reasons why Musiala maybe shined more than anyone because he has that um, like technical ability, especially in and around the box. I, so I, I liked just, um, yeah. I liked Musiala when he sort of played in the centre and then Sane came on on the right. I think that connection there, which obviously we've seen yeah. at club level, uh, was really like nice to see. And Fulcrog at nine, I think that trio there was really impressive. And for me, I, I don't know, I would have liked to see Gundogan probably a little bit more deep. Uh, played number 10 in one of the games, which is fine. He can basically do every midfield role, but like for me, he's just this guy who can control the tempo really well and then attack the box late, um, like you mentioned. So I don't know, I was a bit... Like it was a massive shot that they went out, but like the fact that sort of Enrique and Flick, sort of these two amazing club level managers, um, who were basically touted as being the best managers in the tournament, are out. It basically speaks to the complete different stage that that we see um, internationally. Um, Adam, I want to speak to you a little bit about sort of the differences here. There's some Rodri quotes. I mentioned them now actually, just so we can sort of speak about them. Um, because they kicked up a bit of a fuss online. Rodri, basically, he yeah, he, he wasn't impressed with Morocco's approach at all. And I think we've heard similar quotes from like Barcelona players and things like that in the past um, after games that they've lost but dominate the ball in. So, so Rodri says, Morocco offered absolutely nothing without disrespecting them, which is a hilarious quote, by the way, because <laughs> you, can't, you can't just say without disrespecting them and then kind of say something disrespectful. Disrespect <laughs> yeah, I don't think it just cancels out like that. Um but sort of post game, I'll allow it. Um, in the game, they did nothing. They just waited for the counters. They stayed behind and tried to counter us. I think the crux of, of the whole argument is, is Rodri saying that they offered nothing, um, and and then saying that they tried to counter attack us, which contradicts it because that's yeah. a style of I mean, play that, that you yeah. can implement. I mean, that's a really fair point. And to be fair, they had more shots you know. on target um, than than Spain as well. So yeah, I, I can't I can't vibe with my guy <laughs> Rodri there at all. Yeah, I'm not well, gonna lie. With all due respect to Rodri, he needs to shut up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, like, I think um, maybe like you just touched on, then it is in the sort of span, the nature of a uh, Spanish international. We saw it so much in the old El Clasicos, didn't we? Just like sort of pettiness. And because they were so dominant during that era, you never really saw it at the international level. But um, look, it's, it's one of those things like, I think you can't really expect him to not be emotional after X. No, I completely understand why you said it. You know, yeah high expectations but you know i think when he sits back uh because i'm assuming he probably said that post-match and yeah, yeah. and stuff he, he might sit back re-watch the game that kind of thing especially if he wants to be a coach in the future <laughs> and he'll think actually do you know what we stunk up the gaff there and uh you know morocco morocco were worth worth the weight in gold which they yeah. were you know i think they were the better team apart from that chance i can't remember who hit the post at the end was it sarabia or someone I'm in the last kick sure. of the game yeah yeah, and that was the best chance Spain had all game. Yeah. I think from what I saw of the game, I didn't. I started watching it like forty minutes, I think. But like, yeah, yeah, Morocco looked very accomplished, um, disciplined, and I, I won't be surprised if they they go on to beat Portugal as well. Yeah, I think mm. really it's a yeah. bit. I don't know. Like for me, I think in international football, we've seen a lot of success from these pragmatic sides. I think England in the last couple of seasons. Then you have Portugal's. Euros win, which, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they won a game in regular time, as in like in the first ninety minutes yeah, of the game. 
were a good yeah. footballing. I think they team. drew all their group stage games or something. Went through Look finishing at Croatia. Third. They've, Croatia. Got, they've got gone through. They've gone through every single knockout tie uh, in extra time since 1998. That's such a beautiful quote. Uh, uh, stat, sorry, I love that. There you go. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that and tweet it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that's a completely fair point. And then you have sort of the USA who had actually a really impressive tournament, but probably played in a way that sort of. I don't know, the modern analyst or the modern fan or the modern coach uh, has been pushing a little bit more in this sort of more possessional, more positional and and high-pressing system. Uh, But then Netherlands, who typically do play that sort of way, play the complete opposite and and they've progressed now as well. Um, So it's an interesting conversation to to be had. Just like the whole whole way the Spain players have like, have like handled it. I don't... I don't like the idea of them saying that it's like, like they were they weren't as good as us because we had the ball and they didn't have the ball. Like it, like the Rodri quote, for example, is talking about oh they just sat back and counterattacked. Well, that's like me saying you just sat there and had the ball. Like you, you're not, you're not, you're not actually analysing what they were doing. Like really, what Morocco were doing were like closing down spaces, you know, having a wider block so you couldn't, you know, get beyond the fullbacks or find space in between them. Like they made the midfield dead congested, and it's like he's not doing that. What he's doing is he's just going, oh, they're just fucking sat there, like you know, Rome. Like I don't, I don't, I just don't, I don't understand why. Like it's so, it's like almost belittling us to be like, oh, you're just doing that. As in, like this is the only way, the only right way to play football because like this is, and and I do, and I do agree with it. I think, I think if you want to have a better chance of winning a football game, I think you've got to have the majority of the ball, or you've got to have the majority of the control. But yeah. I think there has to be a fine line where possession almost if you've if you've got too much of the possession and you're you're controlling possession, it almost becomes easier for the team to just watch it. Especially if your possession's not not purposeful. I have always said you can control the game in sort of two ways. So you either control the game in space or in possession. And I think someone like Conte has a lot of criticism or has received a lot of criticism for not controlling or apparently not controlling games by giving the ball to the opposition or letting the opposition have the ball a bit more. But with someone like Conte, they control the game just by controlling space. Uh, Same with sort of Simeone sides who have had great cup runs as well in the Champions League. Um, So yeah, I I think it's appropriate to look at it in terms of control rather than uh, possession. Um, And I think if someone has a preference in terms of saying, oh, possession, football is my preference and I think this is the best way to do it that's fine I think every coach is going to implement a style that they think will give them the best chance of being successful but I've seen people criticize the the Morocco coach for not being a top coach when I think he's implemented a style that suits his players so well and getting this far in the competition is a testament that's what I was just about to say like Morocco the Moroccan squad it's the perfect environment to play the style of football they do because I think people underestimate how much star quality they actually have comparatively yeah. to other teams like Costa Rica and, you know, teams like that who are going to be almost forced to play that way and try and control without the ball. Morocco have got, particularly down that right-hand side, Ziyech, Hakimi, very, very technical players, Amrabat, Bufal, you know, players like this who, you know, really it's almost like Moroccan. Yeah, exactly. It's like the Moroccan, you know, they're, they're almost their national identity and their way of playing football. Like countries te- tend to produce types of players and Morocco are very enriched with flair and, you know, cutting edge. Like the technical like ability, and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you pick your moments with players like that, you're, you're going to reap the rewards. Um, and that's all they did. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. Just um, in terms of the technical ability, like you can't sit in for that long and not concede without having moments where you relieve pressure and get out. And against a team who are the best counter-pressers in the tournament in Spain, someone like Amrabat, for example, and sort of the centre-backs, I guess, Saiz, uh, I mean, the midfield, just the entire team in general, the ability to evade that pressure a little bit and then find their plays like Ziyech and, and Bufal up top, they are able to sort of defend and be, quote-unquote, anti-football, which I disagree with, because of the technical brilliance that they do have at an individual level. I was just going to ask you, do you not think it's naive of like the Spanish squad to think that Monaco, uh, Morocco, Monaco, I did that, I did that before as well, um, <laughs> to think that Morocco weren't going to do that? Like, I just, I think it's quite naive. I, I don't, I don't know what they expected them to do. Did they expect them to come out and actually try and play possessional football against them? Did he think that they would have respected them more if they come out and got panned 7-0 because they were just getting cut through? I I, I just I think know. you've got to you've got to kind of you've got to understand the players that Morocco have, the players that you have, the coach that they've got, the football that suits them, and the football that gets the best out of their players. I just I don't really understand the the naivety and it's, stuff out of it. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a there's a matter of difference in terms of what you believe is sort of the right uh, I don't know philosophy system way to play football or whatever. I just think there needs to be a bit of appreciation for, for both sides a little bit. Um, it's interesting. I think sort of guys like Sean, Sean Dyche and, and Simeone have received so many sort of, I mean, they have their fair share of critics, but like if you speak to the Burnley fans or the Athletic Madrid fans of that era, they'll sing their praises. Um, and I know a lot of people have the argument of this side isn't good because they don't play attractive football. It's not entertaining. But if you look at the response of the Morocco fans, I mean, Play, playing this sort of negative or pragmatic football, they don't care about that because they're, they're I mean, they're literally making unpredictable like progress in the World Cup. Um, and obviously, we saw the reaction. Um, I mean, in England, sort of uh, in, in London by the Morocco fans, but also in Qatar and Morocco itself, and it's like a beautiful thing to watch. Um, we'll move a little bit on to speaking a little bit about England, um, because it's probably the side we're most clued up on about and there's a massive game uh, on the horizon England versus France Laz um, please tell me that my, my good brothers John Stones and Carl Walker can do the business against that scary left finger easy W yeah let's run it uh, <laughs> I, honestly I, easy, I, I think I think that there's I think there's maybe two players in the entire world who can win a game single handedly for their team on the biggest stage and I think he's one of them yeah. So I, just, I, I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't see us winning the game. I'm going to be a pessimist, obviously. Well, who's his kryptonite? There's two. Yeah, there's two Aaron Wan Bissaka. Aaron Bissaka. You know what? I would have taken Wan Bissaka. <laughs> Get him on the plane. If he had no intention of using, if he had no intention of using Trent, which he's not, then he should have took a. He couldn't have took him for like obviously political reasons, but he should have took a more dynamic or like pragmatic fullback who can do something different to Kieran Trippier. Especially if you're not going to use Trent, but I get I've obviously why he's said, took him. But. I've always said like if I was a manager, I'd sign Wan Bissaka and just tell him like, "Fella, I know you want to play football, but like, I just need you for five or six games a season, and they're going to be the five or six I'm hardest games of the season." The catering stuff or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, you, you know me, and you know that I rep all these guys that are sort of are ostracized in in footballing fan circles. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like Wan Bissaka, if I was a coach, I'd sign him and say for five or six games. 
a season. I need you. And then for the rest, just enjoy the training facilities, whatever. But I need you against Vinicius. I need you against against Mbappe. I need you against Liao. I need you against just sort of the four, five, six wingers. And then every other week, I'm going to play the the possession right back uh, while while you sort of train and keep your fitness up for Mbappe. Uh, So in that way, I think there's these players who are just really good, like, nullifiers are these tools who uh, you need to use and I think Kyle Walker certainly that version um, for us against someone like Mbappe I feel most comfortable about having him then do you, you want to see like do you want to see Kyle Walker in a in a four at right back or do you want to see Kyle Walker in a three with a a guy to his right uh, right I, I would not change the team from Senegal reason one because we're so late into the tournament now uh, and reason two I think that I still think, despite how well Southgate's done on paper in tournaments, I still think there's that inferiority complex with English fans uh, and their attitude towards how good their team actually is. And I think it's about time now, especially if this is going to be Southgate's last tournament, he needs That's, to do a Hail Mary and take the game to him. He that is so inspiring. It. Yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> that, is actually, nah, you, that is actually true. That, nah, I agree with that. I you know, like, that. Look, look at it on paper. Rice is a quality DM. His ball carrying ability is brilliant and he can screen a bat line, right? Henderson, I don't care what people say about Henderson. He's had he does a two job. He incredible in games. Shift. Yeah, and also the, the thing that the subtle thing that people don't realise is he raises the game of everyone else he's playing with because he's Genuine because leader. he is so vocal. He is a leader. Yeah. And then Bellingham's Bellingham. He's better than any French midfielder, in my humble opinion. He's fantastic. Um and I hope he joins City. But um, yeah, that's a brilliant <laughs> midfield three that yeah. I think can dominate the game. And the, for me, most 90% of football games are one in the middle of the park. So why not have a go? And then that front three that we've got is unreal as well. Kane, Foden, Saka. If there's one problem with the France team, it's probably the midfield outside of Chiamena. You can get behind Rabio. I feel like. Like, I feel like you can... He, he's got lapses of concentration. Yeah. But I, I think that's in part because he's doing such a... Heavy job of having to cover that side, given Mbappe doesn't. Oh, definitely, because uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think that there are places to be exploited in well in the France team, but I just yeah, it has to be almost spotless, like yeah. the whole performance from a defensive point of view. I don't think they're as good as people think they are. I don't think I don't think they're good. I think he's good. Yeah, oh no. yeah, yeah. And, and so is Dembele. Oh, so is Dembele. So I really rate Giroud as well. I think he's a fantastic I mean, striker. That, but I like, mean, their front four is wonderful, honestly. I think their Griezmann's doing yeah, really well as Griezmann's well. Griezmann's doing really well. But I think there's more holes to exploit in their squad than there is ours. I think punch yeah. for punch, we can, we can do it. I is think they have more yeah, star that's... quality. They have more yeah. star quality, but in terms of as a balanced side completely... I'd probably give us the edge. My whole, like the basically the way that I see this game is France are willing to give opposition the ball. Um, and in the past, sort of against Poland and, and teams like that, they've not been punished for that. Um, although they've conceded a few chances. Um, England are a better attacking side than sort of the teams that they've faced. So I think given sort of Foden's quality, Saka's quality on the wing, Kane up top, Jude Bellingham's late runs, we can probably, and, and Luke Shaw on that side, whether he's had an excellent tournament as well, we can probably get at that back line if they sit in deep. The only worry is, obviously, if they sit in deep, they have that counter-attacking threat, hit the ball into Giroud, find Dembele, find uh, Mbappe. But then it's just a game about if our attack is good enough to break down their defence, which I think it is, and if uh, Walker, Stones, Maguire 
Shaw probably Rice as well can stop that counter attacking threat. And I think our attack in sort of possession is probably better by a big enough margin than sort of the gap between Walker and, and Mbappe. So in that way, I think we have a chance. I completely agree with you, Adam, in that I want us to sort of play the same team. The only two sort of changes I might make are Phillips in for Rice, just because he's sort of better at evading that cover. Um, but obviously he's not been sort of playing the games and things like that. So it's maybe... There wasn't, so. there, there wasn't a, Declan, a Declan Rice injury, wasn't there? Or Declan Rice pulled out of a session, training session. I'm not oh, sure what it actually? was. Yeah, there's something come out this morning from the camp. I'm not sure. Ooh. I'm not sure what quite it is. It might just be a tweak. But if 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 Calvin Phillips was fit, I would I would I would trust him. I think maybe it's a bit too much pressure and a bit too much like out of the blue. But Declan um, Rice is unwell. He's unwell. He's unwell. Yeah, so he might be, he, he will be fit for the game. It's it's Declan Rice. He'll probably get through it. He probably. I will. think. I I think um, who's their left centre half? Who 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 is it usually? At the moment, it's Upa Meccano and Canate in it at the back. Or uh, Varane's been playing. I'll have a look. Yeah, Upa Meccano's basically been the mainstay. Because um, yeah. Teo is... Um, like, I've I've watched Attack AC Milan a lot recently. Uh, yeah, I think Teo is... Um, he absolutely loves running inside. Uh, he likes, he'll probably like, do a lot of a lot of rotate, rotating with um, Mbappe on the left-hand side. But I actually think if you can catch them, you know, if you can catch them in a transition... Uh, if they've, if we've got our best right winger in Bakayo Saka against their left centre half, I don't really know who it is, but I think if it's up Makano, he's he's quite suspect one v one, but he has the he has a lot of pace, a lot of recovery pace, so it's not like you can just blitz him. But to be fair, yeah. I think all the France centre halves are fast. So I think in general, for me, like we really need to take the game to France and sort of pen them in. And just sort of stop the supply into uh, Mbappé and, and plays like that in the first place. I think Calvin Phillips in there is probably better at receiving from the centre-backs uh, than Rice. The only reason why Rice sort of might still be completely fine playing in that situation is um, your front two is basically like Mbappé and, and Giroud off the ball. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to be as proactive in stopping the passes into midfield as sort of the United States were or uh, Senegal were. So I think maybe you get away with playing Rice in there. I think Phillips is better in possession. And the only other change that I might consider, which like I don't think people will necessarily agree with me on, but it's like a really attacking change. And it's sort of the team that I've wanted since the beginning of the tournament and we haven't seen it. Um, but like Raheem Sterling just in and around Kane and then have Foden on the left, have Saka on the right. Uh, and then I'd probably, I'd probably take Henderson out and then have Jude as this box-to-box and then your DM sitting which is like really attacking. But I think 4-4-2 England, like that's heritage. Get Raheem running in behind, Kane dropping deep. Uh, and get from five in possession. I'm you, if he's going to do a Hail Mary, that... I mean, Henderson's been excellent in providing that right-sided overlap for Saka. Um, and I think Sterling's naturally able to do that. And, and getting Sterling sort of on the right wing, crossing it a little bit. Or running in, getting these tap-ins. You see that goal that Henderson scored, that tap-in, that run that he made in the box. That is Raheem Sterling, bread and butter right there. Can we talk about that uh, little left-handed or left-sided like rotation for the for that for the first goal against Senegal? Oh, that Honestly, trio there, beautiful. That that is not Foden, Foden, Shaw, and Bellingham. I That's need really it. Nice. I uh, nah, I need that. It's, that was brilliant. I think at City. 
I really like Kane coming over as well. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, I, I really like that little trident there. The thing about Kane dropping deep is you need runners sort of exploiting that space, which is why I always wanted Sterling sort of playing in behind him. But I think Jude Bellingham, and surprisingly, um, even Henderson, I, I didn't sort of see that in his game, but yeah. sort of bo- both attacking the box really well. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I was really I think we're starting to see that side of Jude Bellingham. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're starting to see that. I think a lot of people were a bit confused about what actually was it when coming into the tournament. Like, mm. we've seen him struggle in the first phase and stuff like that, but I think at least when, you know, like, I mean, Leaz has said it, obviously, because he said that <laughs> Bellingham's a final third player. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily I don't know, agree with that. I don't think he's a final third player, but I think he's got good final third instincts. You need to get him really into the final third the area. Um, and, and yeah, not yeah. him from there. I think like he's he's got that like it must just be English. I'm well, a lot of obviously foreign teams do it as well. But like um, late late man runs, third man runs into the box by Jude Bellingham. Have like proven really me, well. He reminds me a little. I mean, I, I've said this loads of times before. Like for me, he's such a nice Gundogan replacement or successor rather than yeah, a replacement. Is, I, I want Gundogan yeah. to stay for about ten more years. But I think the way that he's he is comfortable sitting next to defensive midfielder, and he's comfortable sort of building up the play a little bit he's not this kind of guy to receive on the half turn from your dm and evade pressure but sort of driving through the lines and then also making these runs into the box getting these tappings getting these headers i think it's really like a a gunduan-esque sort of yeah. profile i think the two players of that profile now are him and enzo fernandez probably they're yeah. like the two who are young who've sort of got those credentials so i'm hoping for city is going to be one of them i thought frankie was that sort of player as well yeah um and I, I think he is to be honest but i think he's a bit more remember that he likes to roam a little bit more do you remember that napoli game where it was like javi first co- javi first come in and then they started playing pedri and like frankie de Jong as like the two like really advanced states like city do and yeah. I was watching like Frankie De Jong get like get like one v one opportunities. I'm thinking I've never seen this in my life. And he was so <laughs> bad in front of goal for like four weeks, and he just could not finish anything. And then he scored a great goal against. I honestly can't remember who he scored against, but he scored a brilliant goal. Um, and I was just thinking to myself, I was like, maybe instructions is all it takes because third man runs are so like you can't really plan for a third man run. Like, you never know when it's going to come. It's really unexpected and it's unpredictable and it's really hard to track. And because of that, like, surprise factor, I think when you give midfielders this somewhat freedom in the final third to do it, it's it seems quite, like, tactical and quite intricate, but really it's just a it's just someone arriving late in the box and the cross of, like, picking them out. Yeah, and I think certain I think players have better that, timing on it. I think Pep always talks about yeah, the yeah. smell of the goal and he always knows where to be and he yeah, needs like, that one I think touch. instincts presence and then ball striking in the final actions like that that bit you can you can argue that some people are better than others but i just think if you just think about overall like english midfielders like every english midfielders like got that bread and butter like that and when you're a kid if you played in midfield you, you were always getting in the box stuff like i that. mean everyone wants everyone I just think wants to score goals nation. going up in it yeah yeah like you're i think always, if you're spanish like, you're watching if you, if you're the in yeah, like that the you you form outside the box with like the midfielders, like where you you sit in front of the defensive shape. It's yeah. like that doesn't exist in like English football. It's like if that winger's got the ball and you're not man marking anyone, it's like you are getting in the box. So yeah. I feel like it's dead tactical and like intricate, but I almost feel like players, when they're given that extra bit of license to get forward, you just see a completely different sort of game from the player yeah. and 
Jude Bellingham wasn't really that. Like I've watched him a lot at Dortmund. He's not really like a a third man runner. He's not a you great know, output guy, but you can tell he's got that instinct. I, I've always said like when you're looking to profile a player or looking at a player's sort of or thinking about where a player might be best at, sort of go back to that academy days or how they used to play sort of when they were a teenager or, or something like that because that's their natural game and and that's where you see sort of the the habits and patterns that they have. I think. For example, we've mentioned on previous yeah. episodes, Jaden Sancho's natural tendency to want to move inside, play a pass first game. And when you when you watch sort of some of these younger um central midfielders, people who are like captains of, of their academy sides or school sides or whatever, Sunday league sides, they're players who are like the talisman or the main figures of their team, sort of carrying the ball, taking responsibilities, scoring the goals. And if that gets taken away a little bit from them uh, as they progress through the levels, you're probably missing some of the things that are naturally like built in to their game. Like Scott McTominay. Scott McTominay is one. Yeah, yeah Scott McTominay is one. Yeah. He was a striker yeah. for United yeah. in the Youth Academy. Oh, so and his, me, his ball striking ability is so pure. Imagine I'm him so in third man runs. Yeah, so, I think that would be I'm such so a natural... Like, Scott McTominay at number nine, man. <laughs> I mean, even just sort of as this box-to-box player with more freedom. I think we've... I, I always bring this game up, and I don't know why it's so ingrained into my memory, but there's this game against Leeds <laughs> where he had like this freedom to just push up and I think he's got a brace or something uh, he like did two yeah he's really nice the minute yeah, yeah, yeah ridiculous um, and this is why I always mention this I always get cooked for it use Scott McTominay like Holland used Dumfries get him in the box get him making these runs up and down the field honestly I believe that takes so much until Ten Hag does it I'm going to talk about it and tweet about it you'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, see ya yeah, well, yeah one day one day I need to write an article I think that's the the easiest that's way the, into the footballing world. It'd be so funny. Do you know what would be so funny if Omer ever came like an assistant coach to one of these elite managers and he's just giving them these ridiculous suggestions. I'd, love, I'd, love, I'd, I'd, I'd want an Amazon Prime all or nothing doc just for just, that, just to follow yeah. Omer like, around. He, he's on the sideline there and Pep's coming up to him saying, you really said McTominay at right back? What? <laughs> give, give me a, one game, one game. Every time this season, every time this season that one of, I think, who did it? They sub off like... Uh, Anthony and they bring on like McTominay and every and time it happens them. every time it happens I'm like this yeah. is the game where I'm going to see my McTominay why am I saying my McTominay that's so crazy he actually explained uh, it he explained it to me once and obviously I watch McTominay all the time and when you actually give him time to land it's 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 actually not a bad take yeah, like I, have, I really love the point of like he only touches it inside and he only ever passes across if you move him to the right flank every passing option he has is inside of him he doesn't open his body and play outside of him anyways every time that substitution happens when McTominay <laughs> comes on I always think yes now it's time he's going to play at right midfield and then like Ten Hag just moves him into number 10 for some reason uh, and then Bruno Fernandes on the right which is like fair enough Bruno on the right is fine as well we had a conversation ages ago on Twitter uh, about Bruno playing wide right I think last season um, but anyway I, I talk about this probably every second episode so there's no need to, to mention McTominay anymore sorry for bringing it up no uh, it's a very passionate topic near and dear to my heart uh, well quickly let's just run through some predictions um, for the World Cup here and then we'll wrap up this episode Croatia versus Brazil I think there's sort of one way Brazil. that everyone's leading yeah Brazil here um, although I've always been really bullish on Croatia and I think they almost play their game like sort of the Brazilians of of Europe and I did tweet this um, and people were like Omer just sometimes says words uh, and I was like fair enough uh, but but Croatia the way they sort of interact in midfield uh, sort of Brazovic Modric 
um, Kovacic. It's just like a really... F- Shout out Brozovic, by the way, covering the most distance at a World Cup. That guy's a monster. It's amazing because he shifts, like he moves to the side where the ball is, but not just to shield or protect, but really interacting, like play like these really intricate, like one twos and then push forward. I so, actually, I actually think they've got a better midfield three than Brazil. Yeah, probably. Is that Modric? Croatia. Yeah, 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 probably. It depends if I'm including Neymar yeah. in the midfield. I, I just think in terms of balance as a completeness, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd back it. I just think star quality is what it'll come down to, which they've got in abundance. I think it'll be 1-0 Brazil. I think it'll be dead tight. Livakovic is a a brilliant shot stopper. Like, one of the best shot stoppers in the world that I've watched recently. Honestly, top, top, top shot stopper. So I want to give a shout um, out to Perisic, who's always doing the business. I wonder if if Brazil inverted their right back a little bit, get Perisic on that last line. I mean, I think he's one of the best sort of international kind of players about I think he's got a goal assist in the last like two games one or two games um, so yeah. shout out to him Netherlands versus Argentina it's an interesting game this. I think it could be the end of the road early for Messi I'm not going to lie my head thinks that but I always but well, then my head also thinks my head also thinks Messi well Messi can't, oh, oh, I don't know he can't do it again can he like, uh, it's Messi yeah, he he, of he course he can't do it. he's he done can. it every every time someone says he can't do it again what, what I will say as well is something that something that I think uh, what's he called Scaloni yeah. has realised is that um, Alvarez is definitely a better outlet than Martinez. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Martinez was playing on an goal. injury, um, which is something that I read, and he sort of now recovered. Um, I'd have still back myself to score but, one of his chances. Yeah, <laughs> and to be fair, <laughs> I think even sort of regardless of that game, if I'm taking that game completely out of my memory, I think Alvarez is just a better. Striker for yeah. me, I think he's sort of one of the best strikers. They did miss Di Maria massively against Australia as well, which I think people don't uh, haven't mentioned enough. Yeah, I don't know if he's back for the I think he is. game. I think he is. You're right. Okay, that'll be a massive boost then if that's the case. I'm 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 going to give Argentina the edge first to predict it. I'll go two one, two one again. Uh, I'm going to go for Argentina as well, just because I'm a football romantic and sometimes vibes yeah, I'm, more than Yeah, I'll change it. I'll else. go Argentina, 3-0. Messi hat trick, why not? Uh, Morocco versus Portugal. Uh, you know what? I'm just picking teams who I want to win rather than... Like, people tune into these podcasts for, like, genuine tactical insight and I get I get messages from people who, like... Right for the vibes. Work, who, who work at football clubs who are, like... Like, honestly, I listen to some of the things you say and it really, like, brings a new angle to, to some of the topics. But... For this part of the podcast, if you work at any sort of football club or if you're trying to learn about tactics, it's sort of we're sorry. ignore everything we're saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Morocco winning the World Cup then? Yeah, Morocco winning the World Cup for me. <laughs> yeah. Now I think extra time Portugal win. I think they will hold out because I don't think I don't think um, they'll they'll fold under the pressure. I, I really struggle to see if Morocco go one nil down, and I think. Portugal have a lot more dynamism and a lot more directness and that you know, kind one, of one tactical thing I will mention actually is um let me just search this up just to make sure that I'm not misquoting it Santos has changed his sort of game model um for Portugal this season uh, well sorry sorry this tournament and obviously we know him as this um pragmatic kind of coach um but but he's really changed his model now to sort of facilitate rotations and things like that. Uh, I'm going to find the actual quote here. Um, 
because it's really interesting. So he basically says he wants variability. So he says, that's why I'm also playing a much more hybrid system to allow those wider movements with the right compensations. I don't care if Bernardo's on the right, in the middle or further back, or if Felix comes inside and then goes outside. That doesn't matter to me at all. What I want is uh, for to happen for all of this to happen with safety on the ball. Um, so you allow this anarchy, um, but you don't lose the ball easily. That you have the ability to recover the ball and react to the loss with the ability to quickly get into defensive organisations and occupy the right space. So I think it's really interesting there that uh, you're Lots basically... control positional play. It, yeah, I, well, I wouldn't even call it positional play. I think he has players behind the ball in the right zone. So I think that's kind of positional and that's what people uh, yeah. in the footballing world call like rest defence. Um, and you sort of see teams yeah. have like three uh, defenders and then two defensive midfielders in front of them ready to stop the counter-attack. What he's saying is on top of that, the players ahead of the that defensive shape can do what they want. Bernardo can go right, Fernandez can come inside, Felix can go inside, so Ramos can move to the left. And I think that is a part of the game where it might be a bit more difficult for Morocco to sort of deal with sort of this more free uh, attacking approach um, especially if the players come close to each other and interact in that way um, and then you have the magic of someone like Bruno Fernandes or do you think he ha- he has to. he does now he has to. on merit yeah. scoring a hat-trick if he doesn't then there's some serious politics going on because if it was any other player in any other like yeah. shape of the word like it would not happen like he didn't he didn't just get three goals like he got an assist as well Yeah, like he's four, that's 4 GA quality goal particularly that first goal Ronaldo's that first not scoring goal. that I, I had nightmares. I had nightmares <laughs> about Aguero. Honestly, yeah. I woke up in my yeah. sleep last night. I, that's that sort of oh finish. And then God. also the third one was a, a dink as well. I think, I mean, all three, if you have all three of those finishes on lock, you have basically the complete yeah. attack Arsenal for a, for a striker. Uh, we'll wrap up now, uh, just mentioning England versus France, which is uh, a really close game. I think it's going to be impossible to put our biases aside. Um for this one, although hey, you did mention before that you think France will beat us, um, may- maybe I, I definitely I mean, did say possible. that. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely did say that, but I'm, uh, I don't know, man. I'm patriotic, so yeah, I'll go. I'll go with France beating us. I think. I think they will. Fair enough. I, I mean, I, I, it could very easily go go either way, and I'm gonna go with uh, Phil Foden's England. I'm, I'm going. With four-one England, class four-one. I'm, I'm not that. joking. I'm not joking. It's going to be like when England beat Germany five-one, and it was the talk of the town. Hold the back page. Hold the front page. England have won four-one, and it's coming home. <laughs> Give me the man of the match as well. And I think there's only one. Harry Kane. Harry okay, Kane. Fair enough. I'll go full forwarding. And you know what? Because I'm a nice guy, I'm not going to clip that and put it out. But if England do win four-one, <laughs> I'm going to clip it and put it out. And so you all look like this genius. Um, fair enough anyways we'll wrap it up thank you so much uh, Adam my friend for, for coming on it's been a pleasure, pleasure. Um, and you're welcome back on and again and again wow that is amazing that's a catchphrase um, <laughs> there we go you're welcome back on and again and we'll again. gladly come back on <laughs> class make sure you follow uh, rate the podcast on whatever platform you do choose to do so uh, and follow us on Twitter as well uh, sort of drop an episode every week Wednesday or Thursday um, and yeah if you have any suggestions for guests or people you'd like to see on the podcast as well let us know um, and yeah we'll catch you again next week yeah.